Hello, I'm Asia from Norwest Gallery of Art. We welcome you to attend Tell Us Detroit. Hi, I'm Sherry Smith, a Detroit District 2 resident, urban farmer and community organizer, and I'm welcoming you to Tell Us Detroit. Peace. I'm Quasi, over here at the Sheridan Marsh Park on Detroit's east side. I want to welcome you to Tell Us Detroit. Hi, I'm Onika, Feed and Freedom Growers, to welcoming you to Tell Us Detroit. What up, though? My name is Yusef Butchish-Core. Tell us Detroit. Hola, soy Cindy Gamboa de Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation. Aquí estamos invitándolos al ayuntamiento de Tell Us Detroit. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim, and I want to welcome you to Tell Us Detroit. Tell Us Detroit Community Town Hall Series is a forum welcoming you to tell us what are the benefits, costs, and overall feel for your quality of life and opportunity here in the city of Detroit. All right, welcome back to Detroit is Different Podcast Studios. And today, like I usually say, it's somebody special, somebody that's family. And definitely when it comes to uh, engaging the community with culture, uh, engaging, working with so many people. Um, and then just being like one of the coolest people that you could ever connect with, getting information. If you want to talk race, you want to talk systemic racism. You want to talk to, I guess, what they're labeling now as critical race theory. You want to talk dance. Or you want to talk what Michael Jackson album is actually the one worth listening to. You want to <laughs> talk to Reverend, Doctor, Pastor, Principal, but my big cousin, Myron Reynolds. How you doing today? <laughs> hey, Kari. I'm good. Good yes, to see yes. you. Thank you so much for having me in the studio. <laughs> exactly. We've been, uh, last time we had the collaboration of my other big cousin, mm -hmm. <laughs> but this time solo. And um, you also came out to a lot of studio, but just so much synergy. Like people be like, that's your cousin? Like, yeah, that's my cousin. Right, <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Right. So it's like, y'all can uh, actually experience some of our family events. As, if you all don't know, our family is like, we, we're all family, meaning like you, you don't necessarily have to be connected to somebody. You can come, get a plate, sit around and be willing to engage in a probably a intellectual discussion about anything from dance to race to politics to <laughs> I don't know what what's in mincemeat pie, right? which I'm still not trying. <laughs> right. We both still not trying it. <laughs> Certain people in our family are like mincemeat pie for some reason. But uh, along with that, mm -hmm. principal, DSA, uh, pastor, fellowship chapel, and you're also leading a group of, I don't even want to say younger, but because younger can be looked at like, you know, it's like, I ain't young. But uh, <laughs> definitely uh, younger than me, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, a theology, a, a school on theology, and just, you know, what that looks like. So, and then just connecting with students. Um, so many people, family, mom, I don't know how you find time to do half the things you do in the family, mm -hmm. but that's there. So right now, last time we gave like some of your background and where you're at. Now let's talk about like what's happening now and what you see moving forward. Okay. Uh, let's go DSA first. Okay. Uh, you know, right now it just happens to be something that we were talking about, but mm -hmm. so much... I don't even want to say misinformation, but I want to say the communication channel sometimes between how people feel school should be delivered mm -hmm. and what's happening are so disconnected. As uh, many people may know, I am the president of the Northwestern High School Alumni Association. So in this alumni association, which is staunch and rich of so many uh, great people that have impacted not just Detroit, but Michigan, the nation and the world, mm -hmm. uh, you have like 
a, a legacy class that goes back decades. Right. But even with a school like DSA, you have a legacy class that goes back to the 90s. And people that haven't stepped foot, and this is what I suggest you all, you know, look at doing. You know, you got to get some clearance and all that stuff. But haven't stepped foot in a public school since they graduated public school. <laughs> right. But have every opinion in the world about the efficiency mm-hmm. of how public schools should be. Right. Um, how, how do you see addressing this hurdle? Uh, like, because, I, you know, a lot of the critics of what should be happening, how things should happen, how kids should be taught, what should matter most in school. Like, it, it's almost like students are talked all in and about and around, but rarely actually engaged with directly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how can that process be solved? Son? Well, you just have to, first of all, you have to be okay with knowing um that you are an expert, right? That the teachers in the classroom, the staff members who are showing up every day, they are the experts. And not allow uh, the social stratosphere to influence them in such a way that make them second-guess their expertise. That as a parent, you're an expert. So I was a, I'm an educational expert because I raised five children. I gave birth to three. I raised five. I got them all through school. That's that's where my expertise really lies. And then later in life, I went back and got all these degrees, right, a bachelor's and master's, doctorate. So they add to my expertise. But being a parent, parent being a family member, you're watching your mom being a parent, right, we don't, we don't have that as much as we do. Back then, we had back then with parents coming into the school and helping out, a lot of them are sitting at home and critiquing. Right. Mm. But not only the parents, just people in the community. Mm-hmm. And you unless you come and engage, you don't really know what we're up against. Right. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, no matter what's going on, I have to stay student focused, focused and centered on the students. I can even get as a leader, educational leader. I even get pushed back from teachers sometimes because I keep bringing them back to these are not the students that we had 10 years ago. These are not the students we had five years ago. And we have to adjust, not the children. And so that's hard because a lot of people don't want to adjust. This worked for them. This method worked for them. This style worked for them. But that's not always effective. So for me, it's, if I stay student-centered, then I'm going to continuously go to workshops. I'm going to continuously know what the latest trends are, how to keep students engaged. I have the privilege of talking to graduates of the University of Michigan who are going into education. So they're graduating from the College of Education. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I tell them is that they need to do more work in social-emotional learning. They need to do more work in building community and trust because pedagogy and curriculum come and go, right? There are their standards, there's the classics, but if you're not building healthy relationships, then you can't reach the students. And I use my sister, who's an educator still in the classroom, as a perfect example. She loves what she does, she loves the children, and they know that about her. So then she can take them to the highest levels of honors and IB, and they pass the test without any problems because they know she's focused on their uh, greatest good. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm staying focused on students, 
and staying current with the trends. And I'm not saying change every time a new trend comes along, but have a discernment to decipher what's a better way of doing something, a better way of relating to young people. Because young people today don't take well to all that hollering and screaming, right? Mm -hmm. That maybe people in my generation, we thought, you know, that's a way to get us to sit down and be quiet. Well, that's not effective for this, you know, younger generation. So that doesn't mean... Um, we throwing, we're throwing away what the ancestors did, but it does mean we have to stay fresh. We have to stay current, and we have to really consult with students. And, and as you talked about just social, emotional learning, like these are topics. <laughs> I graduated in 2001, right. for everybody. But these are things that, like a lot of stuff, as they say, like they, there weren't, they may not have been labeled this, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was enacted in other methods. Correct. So, like, when you think about community organizing, I think of just DSA itself, and we think of everything that Dr. Cotton put mm -hmm. into, like, mm -hmm. the story of DSA, one of you guys are going to make a documentary about that <laughs> one of these days. One of you DSA students. Don't let one of us outsiders do it. But it took a lot of everything. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, almost like everything. And DPS finally just said, all right, look, take this old <laughs> Ragged it, take this old down. building right. that we ain't doing nothing with, and if you can get some people to sign up, mm -hmm. I guess we'll give you a school against all odds, right? Against mm -hmm. all odds, and so it took that, and and it's that grassroots mm -hmm. um, stick to itiveness, right? And that's one of the reasons I really love working at DSA. You know, I'm I'm from I'm cut from that cloth, right? Having gone to Mumford and being talented and smart. And people would see me as a young person and say, oh, you must go to Cass Tech. Like, no, it's nothing against Cass. I go to Mumford, right? I have a really like, great, solid education in my community, in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. right? So dispelling some of that. So DSA was definitely um, going swimming against the current, right? And definitely. a lot of people were determined to not help it flourish, but mm -hmm. it did anyway. And so now we are a 30-year-old institution. We're still, you know, kicking down competitions, state champions in jazz music, um, um, instrumental music teacher of the year, all kind of awards, right? Yeah. And so, but we still don't get that same kind of spotlight and shine. Mm -hmm. But what are we going to do? Are we going to just say, oh, they don't, they you don't know, care. just whine and cry about it? No. Mm -hmm. Or are we going to just continue to make a difference? And my position is take the students that we have and make a difference. Make a difference in their lives. Provide a safe environment. Try to keep, you know, engaged with parents. But our momentum, because I was in my second year, February 10th, we announced this huge initiative with 26 partners and creating feeder schools. And that was February 2020. Mm. And so March 2020, everything changed, right? Yeah. So we've maintained and now we're turning the corner to try to move forward. But I had to be able to shift also. It was about keeping kids safe, keeping teachers safe, keeping teachers encouraged. I had a new teacher who was the most phenomenal teacher for teaching online. I mean, her lessons were outstanding. Hmm. I, I When I went to watch her, I would stay the whole time. Wow. I'm answering questions, right? She just really clicked. Mm -hmm. But she, she quit. She was so burnt out after that mm -hmm. first year of teaching online for a whole year. She says, I have to go into gardening. I need a break. And I gave her the summer, right? And I tried it again in August. I said, what do you think about it? You know, she said, no, I just, 
it was just too much. It was overwhelming, right? So, so, mm. and when you're talking about this, and this is why, like I say, some of these things have been around, but just not like a specific place for the mm -hmm. social and emotional learning. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the story of DSA itself, to me, was community organizing. Right. Because Dr. Cotton had to, you know, get on the phone, you know, kick down doors to get on Mason's radio station, mm -hmm. you know, talk to Attorney Reed, talk to, like, I can imagine just, it was like a three-year plan where it just seems insurmountable of like, okay, so now we got the building, we have the students, do we even have instruments? You right. Know, going to the, the DPS warehouse and it's like, hey, give me the old trombones, give me the, you know, like it's, it takes ingenuity and community organizing and for people that understand this, like just having allies outside of, you know, where it's not the type of district where you can just, you know, type up a letter to the district and it'll be like, oh, okay, you just need seven buses to mm -hmm. to take the students on a field trip because you have a, right. uh, you know, I don't know who's in who's in town. Debbie Allen is in town with uh, with a special play and, and she invited the students to come. Great. It's seven buses. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. no. You have to know the person downtown will give you that letter, but that person downtown don't even know the person at the bus company. So then you got to know the person at the bus company. It's like moving parts in community organizing. Right. But at the heart of this, you just touched on something really deep about your team. And that's one of the key things as North, from my Northwestern position, as I recognize as one of your friends, is uh, the leader at Northwestern. Right. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But um, just due to just due to so much, the team trend changes over so much. If, if I could say one key difference between school 20, 30, 40 years ago, like how you knew high school and you knew when you were in the ninth grade, oh, I, I got Miss Smith now, and the 10th graders tell you Mr. Adams is crazy, so you right. better hope you're not. It may be some of the principals I talk to may not necessarily know all of the teachers. Like if school starts August 20th, they may not know the full teacher roster till maybe August 15th. Right, right. Well, and you have to understand that today's workforce, mm -hmm. even as a professional, oh, yeah, instead yeah. of teacher's professional, um, they don't think of work as something you do for 30 years, mm -hmm. right? So, I, and I'm really big on diversifying my work, my team, so that I want to make sure I have young people on the team, right? Mm -hmm. Young people, seasoned people, we have to work together. It can't be all teachers with 20, 40, 30 years experience, that's good, but it should also be new teachers, right? It should, my, my um, whole counseling department, uh, my counselor, I got him, it's called a pathway counselor. Like he had studied counseling, right? Never had a job in it before, but it was a way for him to shape it. And I'm there to, to support him, to cheer him on. Um, the counselor, the social worker, and a college uh, transition advisor. That whole team, all new people. One person was more experienced with um, higher ed at the University of Michigan, but having a younger team, it inspires me, and it also connects to the, it makes that extra connection with the kids. So the, the team that I lead has to be diverse, right? But you have that, you risk that possibility that a millennial is like, no, nah, this is not for me, it's too hard. Right. They don't have they I'm not saying they don't have stick to -itiveness. They have I don't have to do this. 
I don't have to be stressed out, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, I'm going to go do something else. So you take that risk, but it's important for me to balance the, the, the school community with new people, with younger people, with seasoned people, so that the students can get a holistic experience so that we build a net that works, that nobody falls through because we have we have younger people that speak their language, that, you know, know when they're pretending that everything is okay, but they're not, right? Mm-hmm. Older people that are seasoned, that know this is cyclical every year around this time, around Christmas, you know, kids get this way. So you need both of those um expertise at the table to, to have the balance and, and you touched on something big so as much as yes it's easy to uh what do they say those in glass homes it's easy to look at schools changing but society itself exactly exponentially changes i mean even th- this device here has mm-hmm. done so much mm-hmm. to change just the way that everything functions business people everything but it's easy to say like a school was better then and then i you know and, and then i can give a honest critique I don't know how effective schooling, quote unquote, was then versus not like it existed. Not saying it was bad. Not saying it was good. It, I think it's so signature based on who the student is mm-hmm. and how that student receives what that is. But definitely making sure that those people that you can have those connections with are rich. And you I mean, we're speaking about you, principal and. You, as an instructor yourself, mm-hmm. have had some very rich connections because that's when people talk about what I love about the school, it usually leads with, I don't know, I, I, I skipped every other class, but I liked. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're connected. And, and the arts have that power, right? We have the research. The data's clear. Students who are engaged in the arts do well in school, right? They mm-hmm. can excel with standardized tests so we dr cotton tapped into that and we're we're continuing that we continue our relationship with other performing our schools throughout the country because it's true we don't have any athletics but every kid is not going to play basketball every mm-hmm. kid is not going to be an athlete and so those students who are gifted in the arts that you know want a place where they can expand and grow and explore and it really is the power of the art teacher i mean when i do walkthroughs with my supervisor they're amazed at how an art teacher is doing all the things we say in education we should do they're differentiating that means the lesson is is maybe six levels in one lesson every kid is engaged they're seeing everything that they want to see in an english class in a music class everything and so what i'm charged to do is to take that synergy from the arts classes, translate it into the academic classes so that students have that same level of buy-in and engagement. Because it's, mm-hmm. once they buy into something, and that's the Marie Montessori, that's the Aisha Shule, Mami Mani method, once a kid buys into it, they're really in charge of their own learning. Mm-hmm. But we have to trust kids enough to know that they are that powerful. And I think that's um, that was a bonus Mm-hmm. of uh, COVID, I got to talk to the kids every day. Mm-hmm. Every morning I would do morning um, announcements, and I would talk to them five, sometimes ten. I would just talk to them every morning, and I would remind them that they have all, they have power, right? They have significance. And so Lumumba, my husband, Baba Lumumba, told mm-hmm. me one morning, he was like, man, I wonder what kind of student I would have been if I had a principal to just talk to me every morning, right, and pump me up like that. So that was one thing that I consider that that was beautiful that came out of it. I was really committed to having a positive word, a positive influence, a positive deposit every day 
with the students because I know that if a student is interested, the rest will work itself out. It's when they lose interest. And so the the pandemic was also a huge impactor of, of students losing interest mm-hmm. because as much as they love technology, as much as they can manipulate technology, right? School was not TikTok. So they dreaded being online for that much time because it's the social aspect of going to high school that most children are are more interested in. And people don't like when I say that. We are not coming to school to do algebra. I didn't. When I was in high school, I was coming to see Tim Lee, okay, and have my cutest outfit on. That's just being honest. Most students are coming to high school to negotiate relationships and to and to, play to, to and figure out who they are, them. right? Mm-hmm. So the social part of, of high school, which you end up creating on teams, cheer teams, football teams, in the band, in the orchestra, those social relationships are just as important as the math class and scoring on the test. And if you don't honor that, you'll always, always find yourself struggling. But I honor those social relationships. I honor the arts and how we can tap into their genius and then remind them, you know you're a genius, right? So I know you could do that math because you're a genius. Look at you. Look what you created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's unique you touched on that because this is also like the the dual realities of COVID-19 impacted the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so the whole time I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, I feel bad for like, I feel bad for the little homies because I was thinking to myself, like, this is where, like, my life was surrounded by my friends Mm -hmm. and, like, what that would be. Yeah, if it was a teacher that broke through and was engaging, I mean, you know, be engaging for my friends too. But but that's what I thought. But that also, your staff, uh, parents, it it was a, a big stressor throughout. Yes. Uh, you know, that's why I, you know, as time went on, I'm like, I don't even know necessarily, you know, how you grade and in, in how you're going to evaluate where mm-hmm. the students are, because this may be more of that social and emotional learning that had to go right. on here. I think the one advantage, if it is an advantage, is like basically it, it reset for everyone. It wasn't like... Right. You know, it wasn't like, oh, COVID-19 just happened in Michigan or something mm-hmm. where it's like, damn, if you're a Michigan kid, you it was worldwide. Right. So almost for about two and a half years, mm-hmm. you had a whole group of students. So if you all don't understand it. So basically for you, you, you left school in the sixth grade, <laughs> like sixth grade was wrapping up and now you're starting high school. Right. When you really never even had a middle school experience. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and this and this generation of students are already so I can't even call it socially awkward anymore because mm-hmm. they're that's where society they're is right now. Are, I guess right. I'm socially awkward <laughs> for me, right. you know, talking on the phone mm-hmm. more so than texting on the phone. Mm-hmm. Just certain things like that. But their social engagement is just different. Right. So on the one hand, uh, we can we can analyze and say, yes, to maturity-wise, right? The last time they were in this environment, they were sixth and seventh graders, right? And now they're expected to behave like high school students. I can say for sure some of the discipline problems that have come up when I listen to the girls, you know, we we um, we we push forward with restorative justice and restorative practice. So we have to discuss our problems, repair harm, right? Mm-hmm. Atone. 
Um, and so when we're we're listening to the conversations, it's so hard to pull it together because it sounds so middle school, right? You're like, oh, you would have done that in middle school. You wouldn't do that in high school. Like in high school, you would be past that. So we have to like acknowledge that and be in that delicate balance of, you know, that was the last time they were in school. And at the same time, they're resilient, right? Mm -hmm. No one measures their resilience, right? The SAT is not going to say how many people in your family lost their jobs and or died and your your mom took on a new position so that you can survive and you started your own business. You know, nobody's going to measure how resilient they are, but Mm -hmm. they are resilient. So what I try to do is lift that up as well. Because that's not on a standardized test. But they have to be resilient because they survived. Their families survived, and it was impacted in a very traumatic way. So when I talk social-emotional learning with the team, it is to acknowledge there's other kinds of learning Mm -hmm. that's taking place and that we need to be engaged in and tap into because it doesn't stop. Learning never stops. And and just that alone, you you. Spoke to restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Can you define that for us and, and, and how that's applied in school? Because this is another one of those, I mean, it's probably commonplace in, it, throughout the district now and definitely in your at, at DSA. But for people, like I say, if you haven't been inside the schools, like it's just new concepts. Right. You know, like right. it's like, hey, you, you know, I mean, it's not it's not happy days, but it was like, hey, after school, you know what I'm saying? That's not <laughs> the right, way. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So we're st- and, and we're st- the, the, the principal <laughs> locks the door, and then it's like, right. hey, they just let them have at it. That, I, that's no, not that's that's not appropriate. <laughs> that is not happening. Right? So restorative practice is something that is it's actually in the school code of conduct. The code of conduct has been revised several times over the last uh, four years that we've had an elected school board. And Mm-hmm. And, a, and a hired superintendent by said school board. Um, there's a restorative practice institute, which is an international institute. Detroit happens to be very engaged in it. I want to uplift uh, Keisha Young. Why is that Keisha? No, that, I, I know a couple of Keishas. Um, Keisha is the executive director of the Black Family Development Institute. And she's one of the only people in the nation that's certified in restorative practices that's not on staff with this Restorative Practice Institute. So Hmm. a lot of people take a workshop and they say, oh, I know how to do this. But it really is a clear model for how you engage in discussion and conflict. Hmm. So there's there's circles, there's... um, Every person gets to speak, and when you have the microphone, no one else speaks. So we know that from broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a way to hear everyone. It's a way to define active listening, and it's a way to really um, a facilitator, a moderator, to get to the root of the conflict, to name it, and then for people that have harmed one another with words and or in deeds to accept responsibility and be accountable for what they've done and then a plan for healing to restore right to repair the harm and to restore so it is a detailed process it is a legitimate process a lot of people say they practice it but they maybe have not done the training Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? But it's important to get the, the appropriate training. I actually happen to sit on the board, the Black Family Institute um, uh, collective that works with providing the training. So as a board member, she we had a whole weekend retreat to mm. receive the training. It's a lot deeper than what happened, what happened, okay, apologize, okay, now you all don't do that anymore, right? Mm. It's more um, sophisticated. I've seen it take volatile families, parents and children that were in conflict because the kids were in conflict, mm-hmm. and I've seen that I've seen it totally dismantle the conflict and mm-hmm. really come up with a workable solution so kids can learn to live in harmony. Kids can learn to be okay with not always agreeing, but always respecting. You know, always uh, providing space for respect and also being accountable for the things that they do that may hurt another person. But if you if that person never has an opportunity to say what hurt them and why it hurt them, it's difficult to be accountable, right? Yep, and, and I was looking up just for people and yeah. looking at me. <laughs> Keisha and Allen. Like, he stopped yes, playing. So he stopped, stopped paying attention. But Keisha Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Black Family Development Institute, Institute training, mm-hmm. training Institute. This is this is interesting that you that you speak about this because this goes beyond i, I want to say when we were in middle school it was like a couple times like peer mediation uh mm-hmm. peer mediation came in coordinators and, and that was interesting right. about conflict resolution right uh and that's i guess one perspective of like resolving i guess maybe the the what's happening now so it's almost like a student right. stepping in and saying all right what happened what happened or, or students. Right, right, right. They get the training. Mm-hmm. And my ambassadors have gotten training in it. And if we go back to the shoe leg, we used to have UCU, right? Unity, conflict, unity. We start off in unity, we get with the conflict, and then we go back to unity because it's black people being unified. You know, Moja is one of, uh, one of the strong pillars of how Pan-Africans throughout the diaspora can move forward. So we're fa- I'm familiar with it in that end, but the restorative practice... Um, as a as a system, it exists and it is international. And Keisha has a master's degree in it. And like I said, she's one of the few people that can that is certified to do the training who is not on staff with the organization. She is actually the executive director of the Black Family Training Black Family Development Training Institute, hmm. which is uh, an arm of Black Family Development. That's deep. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like part of what's new and dynamic is we as so much analysis like i say things ain't like what they used to be but the other layer of things not being like they used to be Mm. that i've seen just in my role of president of northwestern's alumni and reaching out and providing uh providing certain benefits to students Mm -hmm. is the student itself uh, the the how they're living. And I'm not even necessarily speaking directly to the deficit mindset of poverty, but just I think some of it may deal with the lens of what's labeled as American poverty, but just the students are more transient. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we deliver turkeys usually. So right. it's a lot of things like that, like around the holiday season. Mm-hmm. So a student may, it's commonplace that a student may start school in September at one address and by Thanksgiving, whole new address. Correct. Or, you know, for work schedules, like, 
the student will live, you know, it's like, well, my address on paper is definitely with my mom's house. But on Monday and Tuesday, I stay with my aunt. And on Wednesday and Thursday, I stay with my grandma. And on Friday and through the weekend, I'm back at my mama's house. Like, it's not... That seems to be, like, pretty commonplace Mm -hmm. of the hundred Mm -hmm. names. It's not like Mm -hmm. hundred names. You just pull up. You walk down the street to school, and you're there. Right. And this is where you've been because Mm -hmm. Detroit has changed. Detroit has changed. And that has been the the greatest impactor, right? The housing market, mm-hmm. uh, job availability, job affordability, right? Yeah. Do jobs pay enough for you? I mean, the, and the pandemic, not all the jobs are saying, oh, look, we'll give you $15 an hour, whereas when we, people were protesting for it, they were like, mm-hmm. no way, mm-hmm. no way on earth we're going to pay you that much money. Now they're begging them. They've got, it's gone up yeah. to $20 yeah. an hour. Yeah. And people are like, no, nah, that's all right. Mm-hmm. I learned how to survive, Yeah. right? So... The housing market, the job market, all of those things impacted children. Whereas when we grew up, you your zip code was this. This, this is an elementary, middle school, and high school you went to, unless you took the exam and went to CAS, and then Renaissance came online. Because Renaissance is not as old as CAS. CAS mm-hmm. is much older as an institution. So uh, we've had to shift, mm-hmm. right, but we've had to also respect Right, so it's no it's no judgment, mm-hmm. but it is a reality that someone's address may change before Thanksgiving. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and knowing that because even in DPS, like sometimes that address move will be to Farmington or Warren mm-hmm. or God knows where. You know what I'm saying? Right. So knowing that, and uh, and keeping this abreast, how had how how do you? center so much of the um i guess you say like i liked how you said it society having a better understanding for what's happening right now inside of school oh wow well the good thing is dsa is an application school so kids are commuting anyway they're from all over mm-hmm. when we delivered cap and gowns for the class of 2020 mm-hmm. we had teams and we thought it would just take a few hours it took us days Wow. Because we were literally driving as far as Gross Point, Harper Woods, Farmington Hills, the furthest limits of Detroit. So they were all Mm -hmm. over, right? And it really gave me a greater appreciation of what many students, how many hurdles they overcome just to get to DSA. So Mm -hmm. certainly their experience there should be worth um, the trip. I had a young man the other day who was very late for school. So I was talking to him about his 11 o'clock arrival. And it was true. He'd never been in my office. He ne- I never had a problem with him. Then I looked it up. He had excellent grades. And uh, he was taking the smart bus, but the bu- it passed him. Hmm. Right? So a couple of buses passed him. So when I got to it, he'd had a rough morning. Yeah. Right. But if I didn't take time to say, well, come on in my office, let's talk about it. Well, what's mm-hmm. going on? What do you typically what bus do you normally take? Mm-hmm. If I didn't take time to really listen and investigate, I could have just disciplined him for being so late. But what I did is I found out he really was determined to get to school. And yeah. so he overcame a lot of obstacles to get there. Mm-hmm. So then I had an opportunity later that week uh, for like a impromptu mentoring session 
And I made sure he was invited, right? And so he had a really good time. He was very engaging. But for me, that that's what I'm trying to emphasize as a leader, right? Being a teacher, have enough grace to take time out to figure out what's going on and steer students in the right direction, mm-hmm. right? Are some students off task? Yes. They're vaping. Yes, mm-hmm. they're doing edibles. I'm so frustrated with the access to edibles and all of that. It's, it's very frustrating. Yes, that exists. But for the most part, students are doing the best they can with what they have, and they need someone to understand, guide them, and then give them opportunities. Yep. And that, and that's where I'm going to say really nothing new under the sun. I mean, in, in, in the 50s, <laughs> it was pretty sure it was some substances, <laughs> some, some Thunderbird or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know Northwest people like, I wasn't drinking that. <laughs> something and you know, the same stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is what's the uh, term? The back in the horseplay, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, kids right. kids getting puberty out and stuff like that, kissing, kissing a little bit more than kissing. You know, that's that's just something that will exist in that, but that still is in learning. But also just creating a safe space, and you work with a different group of people. You work with artists. Artists mm-hmm. themselves are. I mean, we're artists, but you know, I mean, you spent so. So much time in your life performing and knowing artists in the art world, you know, mm-hmm. your, your husband, you know. Right. Uh, so, like, that brings another, I think, layer in that mix. I how agree. do you, mm-hmm. how do you keep the artists creative, you know, mm-hmm. but also centered around like we got to stay focused within the team. So, and I'm asking this based on like my dad. Even it was surprising. My dad was like, "Hey, this this Kanye, this Netflix Kanye West documentary is it's interesting." Yeah. And I was looking at it, and I was like, "Man, this is like almost like every artist I know. Like just the dynamics of the mm-hmm. up and down, like just the emotional roller coaster." Because you can mm-hmm. see in some of the images, you see Kanye at his highest peak and right and like being creative. Then you see him. What I think a lot of people may say is like, wow, that's the confidence you need. But even in some of those statements of confidence, you can sit, you can see so many insecurities right. and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then you see these precious moments between him and his mother Correct. almost being yeah, like that a, was so, that was dope. Like, a, you know, the role that I think you play with some of the students, because, you know, artists are. It's a ro- you, you know, mm-hmm. you know what it is like. Right. It'll be like, I don't have real pain. Right, 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 and right. Like you know, and you know, if you're not no, if you don't know artists, you'll be thinking like, I mean, just just go on and use orange. That's not the point. Don't say that. Yeah, don't <laughs> say that. Don't say that. Right. I think it does give me an edge, um, uh, a sensitivity to it, and also an expectation. Right. Mm-hmm. When I went to see the musical, it was excellent. Right. And so I made sure that I called each teacher that night, that I texted each teacher because I know they had to really work hard and they pushed the students. But the students rose to the occasion. And I've talked to people in the community. They were like, oh, my God, I, I thought it was in Broadway. That was like a Broadway musical. I said, well, it, the, the libretto is a Broadway musical. Right. They have to buy. We have to at the beginning of the year, we have to buy the rights. We get rights to use it for so many days to practice and so forth. But the the expectation is that if you let if you take kids to that level of excellence that's where they belong right mm. so i don't settle for mediocrity and so 
in that in that quest for excellence, I can see how they push themselves. And I make sure when I see them in hall, I'm like, oh my God, you were amazing. I did oh my goodness, that was dope, you know. And I, I, I really pump them up. And then also I encourage the teachers who teach math and science and social studies, come see the kids in the play. Mm. Because you'll see someone different. And now you'll know when they complain about homework, give them more because they actually can do it. Mm. Right? And you can say, you remember it, you know, six pages of lines. I know you can remember, right, the 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 cycle of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so tap into what I'm trying to tell them is to tap into it, right? And the kids want to be excellent, hmm. but they have to have guides, and that's what the teachers are. So the theater teacher, she demanded a lot, hmm. but it was worth it mm-hmm. because bar none, they were, they were outstanding. So you, you spoke to something from where you're at now, mm-hmm. but you also have so much of that in your history, Uh African dance. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, a uh, masters in dance. Let's, let's get that. <laughs> where you've, where you choreographed, still like one of the coolest. I'm not even the biggest. Like, okay, what you did with many other people. Also, your husband, my big homie, <laughs> right, right. was amazing at the Charles Wright and at Mary Grove's Theater. Um, but even before Dunham. Um, so, so like every form of dance that you can think about, right? Even hip hop mm-hmm. dance, like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure it, it's a it was some some uh, some house music in that mix too. Just right. every form mm-hmm. that was a, a part of your journey. So when you think about the way you're engaging, or what you're adding, like is this what you were looking for when you were younger, or was this more so a mix of what you fought, saw as the most effective? And are, do you see? your contemporaries like do you see in some of these students like you remind me of you know like what's that connection yeah well i think for me having been introduced to dance as a dunham dancer right clifford fears had just come off tour with Catherine dunham so my introduction to the arts and dance was through that lens and that is and that's um all-encompassing right it is the dancer anthropologist African-centered, Black Pride. It was all of those things. You know, King's um, Sundiata Omausi was one of my teachers. Clifford Fears, Ron Milner. So my introduction to the arts was rooted in black excellence. Hmm. So because it's rooted in black excellence, everything else came easy. And and I'm just being honest about that. Like Dunham was so hard Mm -hmm. that mastering that made everything else was easy. Like this all we gonna do, this this is it, right? Mm -hmm. Because my introduction was through Dunham. So I think that influences how I engage and how... Um, now, they pushed us in a way that I don't do now. And, and, right? And, they use profanity. They mm-hmm. were kind of raw. You know, they were real raw. Like, yeah. I, I'm more loving in my approach. I got mm-hmm. that from Mommy Mani. So what I've done is my teachers, um, Carolyn Rowland at Mumford, Mommy Mani, my teachers influenced me, and so I'm... Um, I'm a, a tapestry of all of those influences, and that's what I try to model for the children and for the adults. Because mm-hmm. I saw going into leadership as an opportunity to expand my classroom. Mm-hmm. Like I know I was the baddest in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Nobody could touch me. I, I'm clear on that. Mm-hmm. Right? I, my students to this day, 
you know, we have a, a deep love. And, and it's because I was very demanding. I required a lot. I've even had students, they had a meeting on me one time. They said, you know, you're just, you're just doing too much. You know, you're just taking it too seriously. You need to slow mm-hmm. down. I mean, you know, they we... Did the James Brown, they, they did the James they, Brown uh, they, they, sit down. <laughs> I, I was like, well, you auditioned, and I asked you in an interview why you want to be here, and you told me mm-hmm. you wanted to do this as your life career. So I'm treating you the way you approach me. So mm-hmm. if next time you tell somebody you want to do something, <laughs> make sure you're honest, right? But I saw going into leadership as a way to expand that concept that uh, mm. I can help bring out excellent in leaders, in classroom leaders mm. as teachers, and they would have an even greater impact on more people at one time. So I don't see my arts as a deficit. You know, some people are like, oh, you're just an actor or you're just a dancer. And it's like, no, I am a dancer. I'm like Catherine Dunn. I'm a dancer. I'm an anthropologist. I'm a researcher, right? I, I, I love black culture. I've studied black culture. I can teach it. And I can read and write well, and I can do everything else. And so I saw that my artistry informed my life Hmm. and expanded it. So me being a leader of a performing arts school makes sense. But now you and I both know that that has not always been the way districts were ran. They didn't always make sense. Dr. Cotton was a theater teacher, right? So it made sense, but there was this what eight year gap between when Dr. Cotton left and then I came that things didn't necessarily make sense. I mean, I'm just leave it at that, but that sometimes people try to look down on artists and like, Oh, you're just for entertainment purposes. And it's like, actually, no, I actually use all of my brain, right? The creative side and the logical side. If, if not more, Mm-hmm. Because it's still the other dynamics that are in at play. Right. Like right. so so like when people think so much of some of the things that I do, mm-hmm. it's still founded like a lot of what I've learned was from piddling around, knocking my head around with, with rappers and doing shows. Right, right, and, right. Because it's just like you say, it's it's pivoting and understanding the functionality of people. Mm-hmm. And when working with artists, so this is why I think it's so impassionate if you watch that Kanye documentary because I love we're it. all in this mix mm-hmm. because art, we're, it's their passion mm-hmm. that they're connecting to. Mm-hmm. So when you're engaging with a person and you're engaging with their passion, it's almost as if you're engaging with a person and engaging with how they even want to define themselves. Right. So it's very, it's, it's intimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't honor it as intimate, and like you say, push and pry and challenge them to, to break through on that level. Then what you're gonna watch is uh, here we go, a classic one, a dream deferred. You're gonna right. watch mm-hmm. someone that had a passion, just say, ah, I guess I need to quit. I, I can't, I can't be a, you know, I, you know, ain't no black people doing claymation, so I'm gonna right. Just go on and, <laughs> right, right, right. Go on and work over here where right. everybody else working. Let me go on and you mm-hmm. know work and, in this and warehouse. That's, or something. that's especially true in Detroit. I mean, when we when we take the children to um, International Association of Blacks and Dance, they see students that look like them, mm-hmm. that can dance on the same level as them, but their mindset is different. If they go to D, if they're in D.C., they're at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, where Dave Chappelle went in D.C. They know they can have a viable living as an artist because they're right there in D.C. You know, near New York. Same thing. Kids in Philly. Kids in New York. They don't see it as 
What else you gonna do? Or like all of my kids different. get that. Well, my mama wants me to go to U of M because I got accepted in U of M and she wants me to major in this. But you a dancer. Uh, uh, you an artist. Here's, here's the real one. <laughs> and this is why this is why you need to have someone that has been in this situation be in this position because she heard it her whole life. As, as mm-hmm. brilliant as my cousin is, when you don't get a real job. Right. That's, that's the one you're going to hear all the time. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that's all good and all, but when you going to get a real job? You know and what, what are I'm you going to fall back on? And Wynton yeah. Marcellus' dad was the best in that because I think Wynton tried to tell him, you know, I'm going to do this and then I'll do this. He said, well, if you gonna if you got to fall back on playing, that's what you're going to end up doing. Either go for what you're going to do and do it, give it your best, mm-hmm. or don't, right? So Wynton never looked back, and he's he's a masterful Artist, musician, and kind human being. He loves students. Yeah. You know, when he was at DSA, he just had such a great time. And I can see him. He lights up when he's talking to young people. And some people have that gift. Not not every gr- artist is a great teacher, mm-hmm. right? But those that are really are impactful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that connection is rich. And that even goes beyond that place to inspire others because you have a gift obviously with and talent of words thoughts inspiration is what i would say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the pool pit as well okay um for so a lot of people you know uh a, a wedding um definitely <laughs> unfortunate if it's been a passing in a funeral mm-hmm. uh a, a church service uh, when women's when women's month is coming up at your church, you you probably gonna see this smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it'll start off brief like this, and then it's gonna get fiery depending upon what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right. <laughs> but uh, but now in this same position of teaching, you're mm-hmm. looking to uh, a new project you're connected to is leading the minds of people interested in the cloth, uh, right? Learning more, um, learning more of of what a pastor does and you know a doctorate theology as well with one of the few institutions black-led institutions that are around that do that so Mm -hmm. applaud to that thank you um so what's that like so yeah so specifically it's a fellowship and this fellowship is sponsored by a generous donation and it is in honor of reverend dr wendell anthony so uh, someone was challenging him and saying, well, who knows how to do what you do, right? You're a pastor. You're the president of the NAACP. You're internationally known. Pa- you're a pastor's pastors, ministers around this nation who want to get engaged with moving their congregations to civic engagement, consult you. Who who knows how to do what you do? And so this person made a generous donation to start this fellowship, So there was an application period. We vetted the applications. They had to write essays. And so I was selected as the director of the fellowship. So I worked directly with the three candidates. One is in Yale Divinity School. He's from Detroit, but he's in Yale Divinity School in Connecticut. Two are local. One young lady is um, works for UAW. So she's heavily involved with labor. She's heavily involved with women in labor. Um, and then the young man who's graduating from Wayne State University. So they are interested in, they have various specialties, but the totality of the program will give them experience in both the theological field, the ministerial field, and social engagement and justice. And it was great because we had a real good conversation 
uh, the other day about at the Freedom Institute with uh, Reverend Doctor Freddie. Uh, Freddie Haynes. Freddie Haynes. Bad mm-hmm. brother, right? Oh, yeah. Down Dallas, in Dallas. Texas. Dallas, Texas. Dallas. And so mm-hmm. we were, uh, one of the questions came up about um, many other big pastors of huge congregations that are not civically engaged. And one of the things that trips them up is they say social justice. And it's like, well, are we all reading the same Bible? Because if we're reading the same Bible, then we know Jesus was not supporting up the status quo. And it wasn't until he entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple and said, y'all cheating the people with economic apartheid and start messing with their money that they was like, we got to kill this brother. He doing too much. He was all right out there in the fields healing people, right? <laughs> and, and, and making them well, and, and giving them, you know, some food for thought. But now he's in, he challenging us, so he has to go. So he was not murdered by the state because he was praying. He was murdered by the state because he challenged the status quo, right? And mm-hmm. he, and, and and so many other things. So one thing that Freddie Haynes was saying, he said, let's take social off and just say justice. Right. Because justice is throughout the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament. God is a God of justice. And where people are being treated unfairly and there is no justice, God is on their side of the oppressed. Now, I'm saying this as a doc, as a as a as a uh, what what we call an earned doctorate. Right. Mm-hmm. I appreciate people to have an honorary doctor because that means they've been out here doing this work. But I had to do a dissertation, write oh, a yeah. book and defend it. So I'm mm-hmm. saying that that if we could take out, he, he, this was a challenge he gave, you know, let's just say justice. So whether it's, if it's economic justice, it's still justice. If, some, if one group is being exploited on behalf of another group profiting, God's justice needs to enter there. The preacher needs to be engaged in that. If it's housing discrimination, that's not just, then the preacher needs to be engaged, right? So it's really reimagining Instead of saying social justice, because for years, Reverend Anthony's gotten, you know, oh, that ain't a real church because all they talk about is voting. Right. But everything that has to do with where you live, do you have access to resources, banking, a job? Do you have access to food? Baba Malik Yakini. It all is political. And if you're not engaged in the political process, then you're just a spectator. You're just making noise and saying nothing. So. I say that to say these young people that I'm working with are interested. They're, they're, they have a two-year opportunity to study. You know, we do have meetings with Reverend Anthony, but most of their meetings are with me. Um, I'll teach them the sacraments. I'll teach them about ministry as well as social engagement, the Fannie Lou Hamer Political Action Committee. How do you select candidates that represent your needs? How do we vet their records? the Freedom Institute for Economic and Social Justice. So what what what's happening is they're going to have get a they get a stipend and they get opportunities to speak, opportunities to possibly preach, opportunities to lead workshops. Uh they've both done both of those things and and doing a great job. Um and so at the end of this fellowship, we don't know what they will do, but they will at least be able to say they had this two-year internship, fellowship, to learn what it's like, you know, to be a Reverend Anthony. And and this mm-hmm. is unique because uh, mm-hmm. I remember we were speaking a little bit about this uh, beforehand. And I'm like, that's a big opportunity. And that's, 
that's unique. And, and now you're giving me even more details in this, mm-hmm. uh, as I know that, uh, yes, it's definitely a lot of people in, in, and Lord knows, I'm 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 uh, I'm not pounding the pavement through the doors all the time. I always tell my it's like I need season tickets, but um, <laughs> the uh, to to her sermons, but <laughs> the but just my mind and my function of of I guess as they say the world and and, and the doors of the church because that's the debate. I have mm-hmm. I have homies, uh, mm-hmm. men and women that that you know deacons, pastors, uh, lead lead institutions themselves and it's tough and really i see this as this is a discussion in any form or group especially in the black community right because it's like do you serve your membership or do you serve the community beyond your membership this is always going to be this this discussion is the discussion even being had if you own a liquor store in the hood if you own Mm -hmm. a a barber shop in the hood Mm -hmm. you know that's why people say oh man they cutting heads for free it's like yeah you you better cut heads for free a couple times because things get scarce and it looks like you're the 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 institution in the community that is is thriving while everyone else is in a in in a in a deficit-based position, you know, you may get a, a, a brick through the window and you may lose some barber supplies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hello? Right, 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 so it's right. like, yeah, you better But if you've been giving free haircuts... They'll say, hey. Hey. You know, uh, right. during the, most of those rebellions, they mm-hmm. say soul business. Mm-hmm. You know, soul business meaning it's a black-owned business. And yep. then some, some of the non-black-owned business was like, we support soul business. But even some of those black businesses, people was like, nope, brick through the window because you're not, even though you're in the community... Right. You're black of the community, Mm -hmm. but you're not engaging the community. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is like almost a deeper discussion, I think, even than beyond the church. But being that the church was one of the few institutions, even through the trauma of enslavement, that we had. And that's always like for myself and so many other people. It's it's just that tough connection because it's like, man, I was part of slavery. This was an institution that we had, uh, you know, independent of that. But it's also was a centering focus when our community wasn't so transient mm-hmm. of where everything would happen. Right. You right. know, like. You, you know, that scene I love most. Well, it's so many I love. I love the movie Harriet, right, that mm-hmm. that a woman directed because it showed her it showed her love interest. Right. It showed her mm-hmm. daydreaming. But that one time when her dad told her to go see Reverend Green, and she was like, you ain't going to see Reverend Green. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, do what I said. And then when she got to him, he had this whole underground, right? He 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 was he was double conscious, but he was it was for survival. Mm-hmm. He had a whole underground place in his church where he helped runaways and help, gave them food and directions and connections to other people. So that was so deep because that's so real, right? Mm-hmm. The underground railroad was neither underground or railroad. It was created, it was ran primarily by black people. Did they have allies? Yes, but it wasn't. The allies didn't come up with it, yeah. right? They didn't say, hey, guys, we're going to create this. The, under- the no. allies would not have been murdered or did not have <laughs> the, the biggest uh, bounty on their head. Right. They, they, it wasn't like <laughs> at that. At that point So that was that Reverend Green yes. was like, yeah. Okay, what you, oh, okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. And so he, had a, he showed a whole other side of himself. Right. And that's so important. Like you say, as an institution, the church has been so critical to our survival. And then when you talk to young people, they get, you know, YouTube or Internet information and they convolute things. Right. And yes, 
the Catholic Church is indicted on sanctioning enslavement, right? Mm. But they got the gospel message 300 years after the gospel existed. The Ethiopian Coptic Church is the first mm-hmm. church. But you have to understand the history of uh, East of Africa religion that gets westernized and repackaged as something different is not what we're talking about. Baba Jeremoji would be the you know one of to me the greatest scholars on that. You know James mm-hmm. Cone and many others who had the the um, academia right, but Baba Jeremoji was just straight giving giving people game and then so much <laughs> right. of like what I hear and that's that was one of the coolest things. If any of you all ever have a chance to go to the Smithsonian uh, Museum, mm-hmm. um, so the first the first almost like. Three floors are kind of like, you know, um, it's like kind of like black people's journey in America. It's right, like, right, right. It's like, it's like you start middle passage and you go up, go up. But then you're going to run right into an exhibit at towards the end. Even before, like, it's like Barack Obama is like the end. And I think that that's like intentional, just mm-hmm. where we're at, especially at the time when the, when the museum was. But you're going to see James Cone and then you're going to see the premise of African-centered Christianity, you have so much about Reverend Jeremoji mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what was there. So, like, you hear the stories with Reverend Jeremoji, like a lot of people know in the shrine and what became the Black Slate, but then you hear the stories of the guys, you know, uh, the kids with red, black, and green, uh, you know, outfits and collecting money. And, and right. then it's like, we're going to have a learning center. So the shrine, the the store, we're going to have a, a center where people can live. Like it, it's a, it's a deeper collective community thought, mm-hmm. but some of these community thoughts are things coming out of other vestiges, the nation of Islam. And what I hear from the sixties with the fish farms, the airports, Correct. the all Detroit, the, all Detroit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, this is like, this was happening, but it's mm-hmm. interconnected and mm-hmm. we can take these things. I don't know if I want to say for granted, but it's what this Institute, I guess is, is crystallizing and taking a picture because some of these methods we take for granted, right, of The right, functionality right. and what and how and where and when and why, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doc, Paul Taylor and African Liberation Day, and they're coming up again this year. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like, what does the mythology, what does the functionality look like? How how are we building these institutions to execute and in, in, in touch towards people? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's unique. The the question I have though, because this is where I think it has to be very, you know, I don't know if I want to use the term pressure or. It has to be heavy. I can't think of a better term mm-hmm. for you because you're still a mom. You're still, you're still a youth. Like okay, right. beyond mom, <laughs> right. wife, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> grandma, right. grandma. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like almost like becoming a mom becomes like a whole other thing. Right. You, you get defined as like you know people start saying like you Jamari mama. Like it was like <laughs> I lost identity in this one. <laughs> right. 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 So, uh, but how are you prepping? them just for having a personal life because mm-hmm. it's so much scrutiny on the mm-hmm. eyes of people of any religion mm-hmm. more so than anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like almost like one pastor in, in Arkansas is on TikTok doing the, I don't know, the Huckabuck challenge and it's like, I told you pastors ain't you know, <laughs> it's like, oh man, I gotta, right, right, right. gotta answer for this guy I've never met in my life. You know right. what I'm saying? Like how are you keeping them in line for that level of society but we're talking about church. But it's to me, I think it's just interconnected. Like, right? How do you right. have a personal life as a pastor? That's a good question, and I think uh, I I appreciate 
the the level of freedom of expression I've had in all my 20-something years at Fellowship Chapel, Chapel under uh, Reverend Anthony's leadership. And I think that's one thing he's... I think it's one thing that Reverend Wadsworth, the founder of the church, did well, because he was a president of the NAACP. He was socially engaged. He was Baba Jeremoji's contemporary. They talked. Baba Jeremoji is the one that told him he should... Um, hook up with UCC, right? Because Fellowship and the Shrine are both UCC churches, right? Mm -hmm. So he had that balance. And I think uh, Reverend Anthony demonstrated that, one, you have to have an inner circle, right? You have to have your people that, like, for me, it's my family, right? Mm -hmm. Our Sunday dinners or wherever day we decide to get together where I'm me, where I don't have to lead anything, right? I'm the Mumba. I don't even lead the prayer, right? Lamoba leads the prayer, right? <laughs> but we know if it if it jumps, if it pop off, oh, and yeah, whether yeah, it's the yeah, hospital yeah. or wherever, I'm I'm the first one there, right? Because I know my role in the family, but also in the family, I can fall back. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to have sister friends like that where you can fall back. How, how do you? And you you have to cultivate it. You yeah, have to, I, you have the, to cultivate. You knew where the, the next question I was going to. You have to have people that you can be authentically all the things that you are and then no thing, hmm. right? That they know if this goes down, we call it my one. We gonna do da, 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 right? If it's something in the community. But at the same time, when we get together to drink wine and take off our shoes and talk about, talk, talk trash, you have to have somebody you can talk trash with, right? Even, even in leadership, you have to have that. And I think that's one thing I've learned that it's not gonna be a big circle. Right. Mm. Rev taught me, he said, everybody ain't going to be, you know, after, and the more you go up in leadership, the fewer people that want to go with you. Right. But you have to have and no matter how small, no matter how intimate people that, you know, you can be yourself around. And, and I have that question, because mm -hmm. even with the, the with one of the deacons in our family and you even said, like, you got to set better boundaries. And it's weird because <laughs> she's an elder because people, you know, Thanksgiving night, people calling calling the deacon like, hey, come on, I need time for intercession. And it's like, no, with and my that's family. the deacon. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I know a pastor, right. just like with my pastor, for, you know, somebody's sick in the hospital, somebody's, you know, um, you know, young, you know, whatever grandson is 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 going to get married next week. Can you come talk to us about what that service looks like? Mm -hmm. Which really mm -hmm. means like we ain't really got no money. So can you give us a church for free? That's right. that's what that conversation is. Right, right. But you know, it, it, and, and it's real. And we in the community, so we going we going to make sure this wasn't happen. But it's like, man, this is Saturday when I was about to sit down with my husband or my wife or like how you know, it's a different level and I guess what they say heavy you know, heavy is the head with the crown, but like a, a pastor or, or any person leading a faith, I assume, has more pressure. Oh, yeah. With eyes looking, you know, oh, yeah. even just you can walk out my, you know, I live over here. You can walk out my house and you, you know, cut somebody out. It, <laughs> It could get get on Instagram Live and right. Even more yeah, so no, no, you don't want to do that. You want to, you, you want to live. Yeah, you want to live your faith. You want to live, uh, live out loud. I would say this: you got to have a partner, right? So if you're married, you have to have a partner that respects the anointing, hmm. right? So Lumumba and I respect each other mm -hmm. tremendously. We love each other tremendously, but also and not but and he knows that it's a 24-hour thing, right? Like like babies. When I'm when I'm doing doula work, 
Mm-hmm. I've never gotten a call in the middle of the afternoon. I'm always getting, that's the baby's just, they love coming in the middle of the night. So he know, hey, yo, so-and-so going going to labor, I see you late. He see me putting on my white, wrap my head up, I'm out. Grab my bag, he know. And so, but if he didn't, if he didn't respect my gift, Mm -hmm. then that would have been a problem. He'd be like, where you going? You know, so I can't imagine what it would have been like to try to be me with someone who didn't love and respect that and support me like he before I leave he grabbed me you know he would pray for my safety and everything right so we did come up with some boundaries when we're together if we're in the car together and someone calls me in crisis I have to let them know I can't talk to you until I get to a private space yeah he does not um want me he can hear somebody on the other side crying or screaming. He ready to go roll up. He, where yeah, we going, right? Yeah. And so I'm being all calm because this happened a few times. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, okay. And he's, that caused him too much anxiety. Mm-hmm. Plus it's confidential. Yeah. So we, we have that between us. Like I pull over. I'll take you to a, you know, a restaurant. If we out where you can have your privacy. So he knows I won't counsel people in front of him. The, the deep part is... Sometimes people think I talk to him about what I'm counseling him on, and I don't, mm-hmm. right? So they'll say, oh, yes, and Maya was so wonderful, and she talked to me. And he'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. she tell me. Because when I'm with him, I'm I'm wifey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, I could talk about how I'm feeling, but I don't reveal, and that's part of the, part of the gift and the sacredness of ministry. I can't talk about what people are sharing with me. Hmm. Right. So but they assume people just can't believe that that's true. Right. They assume you do. But it's like, hmm. no, actually, I didn't. And in fact, when, by the time I see Lamumba, we, me, me and Lamumba trying to, you know, we're trying to do our thing. Hmm. <laughs> so um, if I think that I don't know how this would be for me if I didn't have that. And and, and then this the beauty of e- your marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, my 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 big cousin. That a lot of this comes from in my ideas is it grew to that. It's mm-hmm. not like he walked in right. as that. This these are the layers and the dynamics mm-hmm. of you as you flourished mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. your ambitions and and really just shining a light more on your talent and offering more of that to the world. Right. But I, I'm thinking as you're as you're prepping or or teaching and guiding others to this work, mm-hmm. I would imagine that 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 balance from what you said is as we're learning more and more African value, that's a family decision. Oh, yeah. So almost like maybe your whole family needs to sit down before you say, all right, I'm going to go on and pastor over this church on, <laughs> but, the, on the lower east side. Not by yourself. You not know, by yourself. You're you not. can't just yes. say that. That may no, be a No, because it involves all of them. Mm-hmm. Buy-in. Because your sister may need to watch the baby a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you, you know, your husband or your wife may need to, you know, um, you know, pass the aid and, and support here or support there, or, right? Oh, you know. And I think what some some of the misnomer, you know, how you you see a lot of churches and they advertise a pastor and there's always a pastor and a first lady, right? That's yeah. a definitely a Detroit thing. I, I, that's a I that, yeah, that's a D. That's a thing in the D. I, I, I envision <laughs> so many billboards right now. Right, right. <laughs> but I think what I've had the privilege of experiencing and watching is the partner doesn't have to also be in ministry as long as they're ministering to you, right? Hmm. 
I mean, I, I see that beautifully. I, I see, you know, Monica coming into her own, which is beautiful because she's going to be her own person. But what she does to make sure her husband is good gives him ability to be all that he is. And it's the same with with Lamumbani. He doesn't have to be in ministry. But because of the way he loves on me allows me to be whole and full and complete. I'm not going out here raggedy. Mm-hmm. And yet I see him coming home. He he did a gig in Flint and he was like, you know, this this person started confiding in me. They're having all these problems. And I just said, you know, I'm going to pray for you. You know, my wife is a minister. So he it's almost like he says, I'm going to take this back home to my wife, but he's already prayed, right? Mm-hmm. He he has his own deep faith. He's just not interested mm-hmm. in being out front, yeah. right? He's not interested in being leading in the pulpit. He leads differently, but he is a leader. Oh, definitely. And so his, his way of pouring into me allows me to do that. Like if I had to, if I had a, if he was a jealous person or... You know, uh, I just think about, you know, he went to Bex Howard and he has built his entire career and trained at least 10 men who are in this business independently <laughs> because of his excellence. And yes. I always say you are the you are the most brilliant person I've ever met mm-hmm. the way his mind works. But I went and got all these degrees. Right. Because I like studying and writing books. and yeah. But he still got me. You know, he's still like a leader in his the way he thinks, his methodical, organized way, the way he doesn't break those routines. And when he does, something goes awry. So it's like, I should never break my routine. Wrap the cord like this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of those 10 men. Right. So um, it works for us. Right. It really works for us. And so then I would tell the people I'm mentoring, mm -hmm. being in a relationship, is going to require uh, uh, someone who supports what vision you have of yourself. And that vision may change. And and th- so it sounds similar to another interview I did recently. Uh-huh. Uh, Prostel Thomas was saying, yeah, working with these kids, it's like a guy told me, like, you know, you got to find your zone where you fill your cup up because these kids, go, they're going to take, they're going to take your cup. Mm-hmm. You know, but mm-hmm. and I can only imagine the cup that you have to fill up with the different people you're engaging and connecting with. Mm-hmm. So keeping that cup filled, you said it's through family, yes. staying connected and then mm-hmm. that inner circle and even vetting that inner circle and then having an understanding that that as you expand, maybe that circle changes. too. Oh, yeah. And see, I have different kind of circles. Right. OK. So I got <laughs> I have the the faith community in terms of in my particular faith right yep. that's that's a circle but then i have another circle of sisters who are ecumenical who are interfaith who are african centered who um maybe muslim maybe traditional maybe not connected to none of them right so when it comes right when it comes to me and shamayim and mama taliba we connect differently because we met when our children were small and we decided how we wanted to raise our children and we are there for each other at the drop of a dime. We can also let our hair down with each other. We could take the gay layoff with each other. But we also, if it pop off, that's who we calling because mm-hmm. we know who's going to show up mm-hmm. and stand and hold space for us. Yeah. So you have to have those people who you know will hold space for you. And we don't have to talk every day. Mm-hmm. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to connect every day, but we know. So that's a different kind of circle. And then, of course, the family circle, which in our family, 
mm-hmm. involves people that aren't family mm-hmm. that become family. Yeah. Right. And so that's a that's an intimate circle where, like you said, we can laugh and debate. We'll be at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Talk about his meat and mince meat. And people <laughs> on the outside are like, are they crazy? Right. But that's fun and entertaining to us. Right. We, we're not angry at each other. We're no. not. But we are having a real debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it could last for hours. Definitely. Right. And so we 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 get we I get energy from that. You know, we get energy from who can cook the best of certain meals mm-hmm. and put it together and make a good meal, right? So all those things I think in my upbringing was important too cuz my mother's house was the station yeah. where all those things happened. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was very easy. Uh rest in peace my Ray Ray to mm-hmm. to to bump into 30, possibly 40 different people. <laughs> right, right. And she is so crazy. She was like a counselor. There was so many people who would call my mom and just talk to her about all their business for hours. Mm-hmm. Or we, w- we would go to the doctor's office, literally drop her off at the door. Mm-hmm. I would go park the car. And when I come back, she would say, yeah, you know, that man over there getting a divorce because he saw his wife. I said, Ma, how you know? She mm-hmm. said, well, he told me. I'm like, how do these people just come up to you and tell you about your business. It's a gift, mm-hmm. right? And she, and so I think growing up around that, I, I just shaped it differently, mm-hmm. right? But it was there, you know? They had good debates. My mom was a place where everyone can get loved and fueled and go back out into the world. And she was a great counselor. Definitely. Um, so so this is deep, as, as you said, like, uh, the the one thing that I think strings all of this together is your love of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and engaging with people where substantive and 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 it's an experience that's enjoyable as well right uh, co- that connection is key mm-hmm. so would you say like I guess that is what's needed in in all of these facets teacher pastor mm-hmm. principal counselor is, is that and all those facets? Yeah, you got to love the people. I mean, uh, Baba Tafuri has a saying, you can't serve the people unless you love the people. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't. See, a lot of people want to be leaders. I don't, don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but they just want to lead. They just want to be up front. But they don't love the people. Mm-hmm. And that's why they don't have no stamina. Mm-hmm. Right? You get stamina from just, like you said, g- genuinely loving people. As I was the youngest child, but I was raised almost as an only child because my siblings were adults. So much older, yeah. So I craved people. Uh-huh. I craved, like, having a big family. So, you know, that might be my own stuff I'm working out. But I've always been this way. I've yeah. always been talkative, a people person. It's just it took different turns for me to learn how to use it for good. Like, in middle school— I didn't use it for good. I was always in the principal's office, right, for running my mouth. So it's mm-hmm. like I had it, but I did. It wasn't shaped, mm-hmm. right. So the loving the people and giving gives something to me. See, some people, you know, I, sometimes I'll even say being a principal is like having ADD. Because if you think you're going to go in there at 8 o'clock in the morning with your plan of what you're going to do and it doesn't work out according to plan, you're going to be depressed. Because at 8, I have a plan, but at 8.15, I got two parents on the bench that need to see me. I got to talk to the parents. At 9, I got a teacher who got a call who has to leave. I got to deal with that. So I'm a problem solver. So for me, I may not get to the emails and the reports until 4 o'clock. 
because that's when it's quiet. Yeah. I thrive off of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, that that's not their gig. They're like, no, they need order. They need to be able to do these tasks. Mm-hmm. So that works for them. That's not how I, that's not, that's not my sweet spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, last time we, we were originally scheduled to do this <laughs> at DSA and I was like, man, I'll right. be cool with some kids. But it just, it, it, it was in the mix. Like mm-hmm. it was certain teachers were out with COVID. Um, it was unexpected snow that day. Right. It was like... A, a group of parents wanted to take kids somewhere and they were like, where do I even park? So it's like, right, okay, right. So, the park is well, situation. I'm, 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 I'm principal pseudo <laughs> security pseudo. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> pseudo. Right. We, Subs, we, teacher. Yeah, substitute. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's all these dynamics. Cause even in, when I function in a leadership position, cause that's the thing, like, I guess, America and what I love to do, marketing and packaging, makes leaders seem so, you know, like it's just, you know, you're you're Elon Musk. You just walk in and you're a visionary and you lay everything out. It makes sense to everybody. And you're like, all right, everybody, let's do it. No. No. It, it's usually like what you say. It's going to be a small circle. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of people with cheering and rah rah. But when it gets down to the work, it'll be interacting and then also having the love and the understanding. And that's what I usually say. I love black people. When something goes a little rah, you know, it's like you got to love it because got, this is just part of it. our community. Right. Mm-hmm. And I look at it. So this may be a Kari Frazier lesson. <laughs> if it's if it's difficult pulling off what you're doing. It's probably difficult for a reason. So if you're look, if you're willing to commit further to it, it. And make those connections deeper and follow through on what you said you would do. You're going to get a lot more of a victory than you think because mm-hmm. people know how difficult this stuff is, especially mm-hmm. working with our people. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it's another group we were looking to start. I'm like honoring and understanding the layers of trauma mm-hmm. on all forms of our people. Right. You know, and it's great that mental health is being spoken about a whole lot more, even though I think it's being packaged where now that's almost becoming consumer culture as well. Correct. Correct. <laughs> you know, cause mm-hmm. it's being talked around like students but never really fully engaged with any right. empathy. Empathy, understanding, right, absolutely. So, but... It's uh, flip it almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and with us, it can be all levels. I mean, that's what the... the the What I saw more than that, Kanye, it's like even when you get, quote-unquote, what you perceive as success or whatever, if if all of this is still... And, and that's what we still work at. You, we don't even know what may trigger us. Right. Because the trauma is in the, is so deep. Yeah, things may be triggered. Okay, things may be triggered as as, as she was saying. That's I think that's Piper that's coming in. Piper oh, okay. Carter, one of my one of my podcasts is coming in next. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we it's things that are going on with us that are, you know, you we don't know. We don't right. We don't know right. until we go through it. Right, and and then you have. Post is called post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? Or post-slavery stress syndrome. Mm-hmm. But Enjoy the if the post means past, mm-hmm. but you're still experiencing the traumas, <laughs> it ain't no post. Yeah, it's it's a right now kind of thing that you're constantly having to uh, readjust, right? So mm-hmm. every time we... We're we we think we've healed from the trauma of police violence, right? We, we celebrate Katanji, mm-hmm. you know, Brown, 
Jackson, and then we have Yololo. Yeah. Right? Like, what the? Mm -hmm. So it re-traumatizes. It's not, it's, we can't get to a post. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get to a post if you're still having these experiences. And, and to not recognize that is frustrating to, to know that this trauma is continuous and we are just living in it and we're going to learn to be as healthy and whole as possible while still experiencing it. To eradicate it, you know, to be anti-racist, but to assert that it's pulse means it's over with. Mm -hmm. and, and when it is not over with. That's deep. Mm -hmm. that's, and I think that's the beauty that's of Detroit. That's deep. Because in Detroit... We win it, right? We win it, even though the world say, "Oh, don't go to Big Mac, scary Detroit." And yeah. we like, well, Detroit, we what up though?" Oh yeah. So when I met Chris uh, Smalls, who started uh, the Amazon Union, yeah, him and his mom and his brother and his vice president, they was like, he said, "Black people winning in Detroit, right?" Yeah. He, they were blown away because they only yeah. heard about Detroit, but to be here and to meet such a diverse array of black people. Oh, yeah. Right? It's what we know because we swim oh, yeah. in it. Yeah. Right? But yeah. other people are, like, astonished by it. Yeah, like I say, it's no <laughs> other place on earth. You can no say. other place on earth. Like I always say, it's like, this is one of the few places on earth you could be like, man, damn that. Damn that neurologist with the with the expertise in, uh, <laughs> in cardiovascular studies as well. I'm going to pick this one. And both of them are black people. Right. Not Indian. <laughs> right, right, right. Not Nigerian. Mm -hmm. No offense to my Nigerian brother and the Kenyan or nothing. I mean, like, you know, grew up off Seven Mile Black. You know what right. I'm saying? That's right. Detroit. It's the only, it, it's just, you know, Atlanta is kind of catching up. Houston is it's, it's, it's growing. Mm -hmm. But this is so many just layers Deeply of professional. Rooted. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. you will be, you could be, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, just. You could be doing going for a for a for a walk through through Belle Isle and run into somebody that did like, yeah, you know, I did all the costume designs for uh for the last uh for for, for Avatar because right. I started doing costume designs for, for Jackson Five and you know, and he's like, right. Are you serious? Right. Like, <laughs> like, are you serious? Like and it's it's, it's serious. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like just on so many facets and that's what's so beautiful about the culture here because I mm -hmm. think the culture becomes the gateways for so many other forms of creativity and expression right. so with that as I come to a close one mm -hmm. of the things that I helped Northwestern with was homecoming okay I do want to hear just about this year's I assume the graduation and prom are going to be like bigger than ever because for for what it is COVID we looking at in the rearview mirror so I assume they're looking to have some parties some fun I know you may have some other calls to action. I thought it was cool that I was able to support what we did of a prime of Northwestern. Shout out to Steve and them at Steve Soul Food. And I got to reach out to Principal Rogers, too. Mm -hmm. But what does prime look like for DSA students this year? And then maybe we can sponsor like two tickets or something like that. OK, well, this year we'll be at the gym theater. Oh, okay. Which is really beautiful, yeah, right? It has a stage, good. it has tables and chairs, it has a little food section, so it's very classy, very Are the beautiful. Students excited? They're very excited. The mm. last two years we did in the in the parking lot. Mm. The first year it was it was makeshift. I called my girl Nikki Howard Combs, who's uh, you know Nikki, mm -hmm. uh, one e one event to envy. And she got some tents. We had a DJ. And people thought I was crazy. They was Make like, nobody in the prom in the parking lot. 
and some of the kids dressed up and some of the kids came casual but because we put an effort to make something happen for them no tickets no with no charge I had Jackson Five Star bring a truck, a food truck. Wow. And you just go up to the food truck, get a chicken sandwich, get a hot dog, get some pop. That's what mm. we did. The second year, we planned it a little bit more. It was a little mm. more fancy. We still had a dance floor, tent, yeah. DJ, food trucks. And I had an incident where I wasn't able to attend, but my team knew Made my vision. Mm. And so while some people um, downplayed it, the kids appreciated it. So they totally dressed up. Mm -hmm. Totally dressed up. So this year to be to go back to the gym theater where we used to go is going to be a major, major um, thing. So maybe we Detroit is different. We may be able to figure out something for like two students that may or may not. Because that would be that would be awesome. That would be kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? That may be something that we can do just moving forward. Because I know graduation and prom this year, it's going to be a lot of energy around that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I know kids are like, yeah, I'm really graduating. You know, and it's like the other people graduated. They too, did. Man. They you did. But, but, you know, kids. Right. Kids mm -hmm. going to kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's cool. That's cool. Other than that, I don't know what other projects you want to work on or contact information you want to share, but now's the time. Oh, contact information. Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's see. Uh, my website hasn't been active, but it exists. Mama Maya will official. Okay. Uh, if you need to email me, myawalisareynolds at gmail.com. I can do counseling, wedding, pre-marriage, uh, marriage repair. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have some uh, weddings coming up this summer. I love weddings. Some okay. some ministers have different things. they like, oh, I can't stand weddings, but I, I like doing this. I love every aspect of it. I love love. I love creating vows and, you know, making a wedding really special. Of course, I serve at, I worked at Pie Funeral Home for a year straight every Saturday. So that was like. That was tough. That was, that was a that was master's tough. in fire, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so I really appreciate the training that I got from that, the experience that I got from that. So I just love serving the community. Mm -hmm. um, becoming the principal of DSA, I had to give up my radio show and a couple other mm -hmm. things just because it was so time consuming. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just, I'm excited about leading a group of young leaders. I work, I love working with young people that are interested in doing this work. I feel that that's, um, one of my mentors, Dr. Kim down in New Orleans, she says, you should always have a young person on your team. You should always, you know, have open doors for them. So I see that as my obligation to help young people. So I support Black Lives Matter Detroit, you mm -hmm. know, when they need something, I'm here. I'm here as a resource. I'm here as a mentor. And um, I certainly am here for parents that are looking for a high school that's loving and safe and clean and mm -hmm. rigorous. And we got the same curriculum as everybody else. We have great teachers. Mm -hmm. Please consider uh, bringing your student to Detroit School of Arts. I think that it will be a great experience for them as we prepare them for college and beyond. And and, and we've been talking around it, but we're going to make this happen. As I know some people down at the, bull, at the, I guess, at the district, too. We're going to coordinate something with podcasting and DSA sometime. Oh, well, sometime. oh we get, we're we, getting we our own station. No, we're so, getting yeah. our own station. Yeah, so we're gonna we're working work that on out. Yeah. We're going to work that out. Uh -huh. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right, peace. Peace. Last year, we did this.
All right, so this year, it's gonna be more creative. It's gonna be more gardening, more podcasting, more performance, and also more of the differences that make Detroit the cultural base it is. So just like last year, we started with the fundraiser. We're starting with a fundraiser this year again. I know we can get there, and we're gonna get there with your support. Remember, this is a lot of studio, the podcast performance experience right in the urban garden in the heart of a Detroit neighborhood. Please support this year for everything we're gonna give you. 